think I'm a fool? I didn't think so. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. I think you just said something. Think, 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 think. As you may have guessed from the intro, it is time to make you think. Dun, dun, dun. All right. I'm flying solo today. Lou is not here. Cameron is not here. You are stuck with me, Michael. And I have come to you to tell you that you have to know where you have come from. Now, why am I doing this? Well, it dawned on me the other day. I had an epiphany, a moment of clarity and brilliance. Or at least I thought I did anyway. We'll find out shortly, I guess. The idea behind that was, well, the idea that I had was, you know... And I've mentioned this before with Lou. We've talked numerous times, and I've mentioned numerous times, that the goal of what we're doing is to get you thinking through your Bible, to get you thinking through the teachings of the Old Testament, the New Testament, viewing them as a unity, having them make sense in your brain. Why, pray tell, do we wish to do this? Well, we wish to do this because we want to formulate what is known as a Christian worldview. Now, that would be beneficial to you, to your friends, to your neighbors, to your families, your children, everyone you are trying to disciple and seeking to grow and learn from because you can actually grow and learn even from the pagans. That's why we talk about current events and that's why we keep up with what's going on in the news because we want to see what is wrong so that we may know how to react and live rightly in light of it. So, excuse me, still have that cough going on until the end of time. So with that, it dawned on me that while we are constructing a worldview in real time as we talk about these things, you know what we need to do? We need to actually like sit down and have a conversation about worldview. How do we build it? What are the foundations that undergird us? And how do we get them from Scripture? Welcome to why I am sitting here today and why our starting point is you have to know from whence you came. You got to know where you came from, to know where you is going, to know where you is at. So what we're going to do is what I just said. We're going to go through Scripture, and we are going to formulate a worldview based on on scripture. Now, we are not doing the whole Bible in a sitting, so, and I don't want to sit here and talk to you for two hours, so we're going to do one foundation at a time. It's going to take us a while, but I think it'll be edifying and worth the trouble. So, if you didn't look at the title of this, then you have no idea what I'm getting ready to talk about, so I'm just going to ahead, just going to go ahead and tell you. Your first cinder block in the foundation of the Christian worldview comes to you from the beginning of Scripture. The Bible begins with the idea of God. It doesn't seek to prove him. It doesn't seek to justify him. It just seeks to identify and proclaim him. Your first step in formulating a Christian worldview is realizing that God is the creator. Now, stop. If you do not have a functional working knowledge of Genesis 1 through 3, pause my voice, go read them, and make sure they're in your head so that you can go through this. We're not going to read all of it, but we are going to refer to it, and you're going to need to know at least a general idea of what is in it. And I would assume for this portion of Scripture, most of you do. So, what do I mean by this as foundational to your worldview? Well, think about it. Genesis 1.1. If you know this Bible verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Bam. Scripture's not proving this to you. Your Bible doesn't care to give you 75 proofs that God created the heavens and the earth. Or, here are the reasons why evolution is false and Christianity is true. Your Bible is not doing this. Your Bible is saying, God exists. Duh. And that's a theological term from the Greek that means, duh. It is just how your Bible begins. This is one of those obvious parts of knowledge. Uh, Psalm 14 uh, points back to this. Romans 3 quotes Psalm 14 when it says, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Want to be foolish? Reject what is as obvious as the nose on your face. God exists and he is bearing fruit and creating in this world. Now, Genesis will go on to then explain how much of this creation is dependent upon God. The earth, the light, the darkness, the sun, the moon, the stars, the shrubbery. I am the night to sing me, and I demand a shrubbery. They are wanting their shrubs to grow. Now, you want to talk about fun in your Bible? Do not think, okay, for those of you that are naturalistic in your theology and want to try to schmush, again, technical term, schmush your uh, scientific thinking, your godless scientific thinking, let me rephrase that, with your Bible, should just notice this. Um, God said, let there be light, and there was light, Genesis 1-3. Um, where'd the light come from? I'm, I'm, I'm curious, because we're not going to get lights in the expanse until verse 14 on day 4. So we've got light on day 1 with no sun, moon, or stars until day 4. Hmm, not only that, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place. Let the dry land appear. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kinds with seed on them. And it was so, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, and there was morning, a third day. Good band, by the way. I mean, you might be can't vouch for all of their songs, but they've got some good stuff. So you have lights on day one, no sun, moon, and stars. You have vegetation and shrubberies on day three, again, with no sun, moon, and stars. How, pray tell, does this happen? God is how this happens. <coughs> Excuse me. This is the point of Genesis 1. There is a God who is creator of not some things. He is creator of all things. And that includes you, me, and the man on the moon, and even that weird face we thought we saw on Mars however many years ago. We thought that was a thing. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's verse 26. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, ladies, you are not lesser than in the eyes of God. You too are made in the image of God. You are assigned a different role, which we'll discuss at some point down the road, I'm sure, but you are not less than because you are female, just like your husband or dude that you know is not more than because he is male. You are both image bearers of God, but you are assigned different roles, and that is something we will discuss at a later date. Now, 
For those of you in panic mode, no, the creation account does not get retold in chapter two. It is merely details expanded because you're going, I know what you're thinking, but, 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 Michael, 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 you just said male and female were created in verse 127. And then, and then in chapter two, we've got Adam and he's naming the animals and, and then there's no Eve yet. And then we get the rib. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't mess with what happened on day six in Genesis 1. It is merely an expansion of the story. The details are being given so that you are without excuse. God is the creator. And he's not just the creator in the general sense that, oh, hey, you know, I made a bunch of stuff and now I'm going to sit back and watch it unfold. That was called deism. It's the, uh, the idea of the blind watchmaker. He makes the planet, winds it up, and then sits back and watches us like some bizarre cable show. No, the Lord said, 2.18, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Notice who said it wasn't good for Adam. Adam didn't say that. Adam has no thought in his pretty little head that he is by himself or alone. You know why? He has the Creator. No, God, knowing what will come, knowing what his wife will be, knowing what Adam's decisions will have to entail, and knowing what work he must do, decides that Adam needs a helpmeet, a suitable worker by his side, a complement, if you would. And that is where you get Eve. She is the Isha to his Ish, the woman out of man. So it's not, whoa, man, you need to stop. No, it is a woman who needs to help and work alongside. And then you'll see how that works. Bone of my bone, 23. Flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. You ever glossed over that real fast? Who's the father and mother? Seriously. Who's Adam leaving? And the answer is, well, well, no one. Who's Eve leaving? And the answer is, well, no one. They're, they're it. They are the father and the mother. Exactly. And from the very beginning, what is God declaring? That you, joined to one another, are a special thing. God has just created, hasn't he? He's created what we call marriage, which is what brings us together today. He has created this. He has ordained it. He has blessed it. Now, why is this all so important? How is this knowledge the foundation of a Christian worldview? You just told me a minute ago that, you know, Psalm 14, Romans 3, that this is innate, that we know this by nature. Yes. Yes, we do. But we do not like the implications. This is something Lou and I have talked about before. We will probably talk about it again, and we're always going to talk about it because this matters to how you see the world around you. You, me, Every human being you have ever known, every human being you have ever met, every human being you have never met that has drawn breath on this earth is a dependent being. God is the independent one. We are the dependent beings. We need God to have worked in order to exist. We need God to continue to work in order for us to continue to exist. That's your Colossians 1, upholds all things by the word of his power, talking about Jesus engaging in his creative and reigning work over his creation. Now, that matters because if by definition you are a dependent being, 
and the fact that God is creator means you are a dependent being, then you are, wait for it, responsible to him. You are not free to do what you want, when you want, how you want. You are responsible to God, and you are therefore functioning in a way that is not for your good and your glory, but for his. Excuse me. Hey, I remember to cover the microphones. Hopefully that didn't blow your ears out when I coughed again. Now, that is something that should have been remembered when you get to Genesis 3. And that's why we include Genesis 3 in this initial foundation. And yes, I know we're going in real small chunks now. We will expand the chunks as we get going. But this beginning section of Scripture, these these first uh, really 11 verses, or 11 verses, 11 chapters of Genesis are so vital to understanding everything that comes later. And the beginning five books of Scripture are so vital to understanding everything that comes later. We're going to take these in little smaller chunks for right now so that we do not get that part of this wrong. So when the serpent, who is crafty, comes slithering his way, which I don't know if he slithered or not. He's not cursed or crawling his belly yet. So maybe he walked. I don't know. Maybe he, like, hopped. Maybe he squiggled, like when you do those bad cartoon wiggle worms, and they, like, butt to nose, and then you stretch out, and then butt to nose. I don't know. I have no idea, and you know what? I don't care. But this uh, this crafty beast, which is how Genesis 3-1 describes him, comes up. What's the challenge? Did God... Really say you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? I mean, come on. What is going on here? That's the challenge. Are you really so dependent upon God that you just listen to him? Are you really not independent of yourself that you can't evaluate the fruit for yourself? Did God really tell you this? Notice the problem here. It's an attack upon the sovereign rule, reign, and command of God over his creation. The temptation of sin is not a temptation necessarily to just rule in with God. It is a temptation to rule in stead of God, to forget that he is creator, I am creation, and therefore I am a dependent being. That becomes the problem. And if you'll notice, you, you know how the story goes. Eve takes it, looks, and goes, oh, you know, this fruit is pretty good. I have no idea what it was. I don't care if it was an apple. I don't care if it was a fig. I really don't care. Pomegranate's not my concern. She takes, she eats, she gives to her husband who was with her. Again, who was given charge of the garden? Adam. Who was standing there while Eve falls into sin? Adam. Who gets blamed for this? I got news for you when you get to the New Testament. It's also Adam because this was his job and how he messed it up. Now, when this happens, notice the curse. We're going to we're going to gloss over the curse against the serpent because, you know, he gets to slither and then there's the the proto-evangelion, the promise that there will be a son from the woman to crush the serpent. But to the woman he said, "I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, and yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you." What is that? That's a breakdown of the dependence upon God. Now, in order to propagate, to fulfill the command of God, there will be pain. 
not, and there was always going to be pain. Notice I will greatly increase your pain in childbirth. This is going to hurt a little bit. I mean, let's be honest. If you've ever been around for a childbirth, I don't know how you do that without it hurting some, but you know, maybe the elasticity of the body is affected by the fall. And so it hurts a little bit more now to be stretched here, tither and yon, but we're going to stop talking about that now. Now we're going to multiply it. And we're also going to break down the dependence upon God by putting what? A dependence upon the man. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And whereas our desire is supposed to be for God and he rules over us benevolently, lovingly, graciously providing, now your desire will be for your husband. So you will usurp the place of God with the place of your husband. You've never, ever met a woman who has done that in her entire life, ever. You know, that girl who's in love with every dude she meets, you've never met a woman who would put the idolatry of husband and family ahead of God. Oh, no, not perish the thought. And yet he will rule over you, which means as opposed to the benevolent, gracious ruling of God, you will have the harsh, crass, uh, domineering rule of the husband. And let's just be honest, dude, throughout human history, we've done this, haven't we? I mean, we even have jokes about this today. Guys go out on the prowl. You know, what's the joke? What are you looking for? I'm looking for a girl with daddy issues, man. Somebody with a broken relationship towards men because that way I can take advantage of it. Aren't we a lovely lot? This is the breakdown caused by sin. Forgetting God is creator leads to us ruining our dependence upon him, engaging in sin and idolatry, and placing that dependence upon something or someone else. Likewise, you can see this with Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread. All right, pause real quick. The garden was part of the good creation. It too is now cursed. The creation, the the ground itself is dependent upon God. Now that relationship is warped. Why? Because the relationship between man, the one who exercises dominion and sovereignty on behalf of God over that creation, his relationship is warped. Therefore, all relationships are warped. The dependence upon God is removed. The dependence upon his provision is warped so that now instead of just being granted life, instead of being granted sustenance, we must work for it. We must labor hard within it and we must struggle, which is also a blessing. Notice this. It is also a blessing. Just like pain in childbirth is a blessing. This is why I've, I've joked for years. Childbirth can't be that bad. And the reason I say that is because almost every woman I've ever met has been willing to do it twice. I'm serious. You very rarely run across women and be like, that childbirth was so amazingly impossible. I'm never doing that again. Now, are there women who say that? Yes, of course. There's people who say everything. But, and I'm joking, by the way. Yes, childbirth is very painful and can be physically traumatic. I get that. But women are willing to do it again. Why? Mercy of God. He removes the memory of some of that pain. I mean, I've talked to women who are like, I don't remember my childbirth hurting. And you look at their husband, he's like, I still have the marks in my arm. The kid is in college, and I can still see where you clawed my arm. He said, you did this to me, ah! as you levitated above the bed and spit out pea soup. What do you mean it wasn't that bad? I just don't remember it like that. I just don't know what you're talking about. That's the mercy of God. That's the grace of God saying, yes, here's the curse, but the provision will be granted. The generations will go forth. Likewise, it's work to eat, and yet we're still dependent because you can do everything right. I'll never forget seeing – I saw this years ago. 
uh, my father-in-law is a farmer. And just one of those hard years. Every once in a while, you get a hard year. Even with modern technology and pesticides and fertilizers and, and you know seeds that are fortified and everything, you know what? Sometimes you do everything right, and it just doesn't grow. And there was kind of an argument, and people were kind of upset. It was, it was a bad year. And my father-in-law finally stopped and looked at some folks that were complaining. and be like, don't blame me. Blame the one who didn't send the rain. Through that work and that toil, you can work your butt off, your fingers to the bone, do everything right, and you still need the mercy of God to make the seeds grow. You still need the mercy and grace of God to provide food so we don't starve to death. In other words, we still need the creator to do his miraculous creating work. We are still dependent people. And you will do this. You will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. This is also mercy. Man is made temporary. We are made to break down, to fall apart. Why? So that we would be reminded as dependent beings that we are dependent. This is why your back hurts if you're over 40, if you want to know. This is why your back is killing you, why you need glasses, and why you can't pick up the stuff you used to be able to pick up. It is because you are dependent, and God is slowly, graciously, lovingly removing your strength and your vitality to remind you on a regular basis that you are dependent upon him always 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 and further remember what was the penalty if they ate the fruit do you remember that in the day that you will you will eat of it you will surely die 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 dead 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 he is no more he has deceased he has assumed room temperature now The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Why for he do that? Well, because remember, they covered themselves in fig leaves. Why? Because they never killed anything. The garden was awesome and it was good and it was perfect and life was amazing and nothing had ever died before. Once again, for those of you wishing to synchronize your Christianity and your pagan science, nothing had ever died before. So that kind of throws evolution out the window. They were supposed to die for their sin, and instead, God makes garments of skin and covers them. Last time I checked, animals don't just hand over their skin. Like, you don't get to walk through the forest and be like, ooh, rabbit, I bet you make an awesome hat. And he's like, oh, I bet I'd make an awesome hat too. Here is my skin. Make your hat. No, God, in the garden, a Christophany, pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, standing there, slaughters an animal. If you made me guess, you know what I would tell you it was? It was a lamb. I don't care if they make good clothing or not. I guarantee you it was a lamb. When we get to heaven, you'll find out I'm right, and then you can, you know, pay me whatever you owe me for it. Covers their skin, their their sin by doing what? Slaughtering the animal in front of them, skinning him, and making clothing. Why? Because their nakedness is now their shame. They realize that they are exposed both spiritually and physically, and they wish to no longer be exposed. The shame of their soul being shown in the bodies that they mark, that they bear. So what does God do? He covers their shame and their reproach, literally with the animal skins, figuratively with the animal's life, the lamb in place of themselves. Just like when you get to Exodus, you'll see the lamb in place of their sons. Just like you get to the temple, you see the lamb in place of your sin. Just like when you get to the New Testament, you see the lamb of God for the sins of of the world. This is again a reminder. You 
are a dependent being. As you leave the garden, you are reminded that you should be dead. But save for the grace of God and his merciful provision, you are alive. You will work hard for the rest of your life, and you will fail, save for the grace of God and the provision of him. He made what was good. We corrupted and made what is bad. This is what you start with if you want to start with a Christian worldview. This is how you think through the beginnings of everything. But that's such a wonderful thing that the world is doing. No. No, it isn't. Odds are it is based in paganism, idolatry, and sinful pride because apart from the redeeming and creative work of God, we as dependent beings are going to ruin and corrupt everything that we touch. Not some things, everything that we touch. So, foundation one, God is God. I am not. He is creator. I am creation. He has made, and I am dependent upon him. Told you this was going to be fun. So, what have we learned today, children? Everything begins in God. Except for our problems, they begin in us. And we need God in order to make sense of the world around us. Any idea Any thought process that has its genesis, see what I did there, in anything other than God and his creative work is something that is beginning in the wrong place. It is not established upon the foundation. Now, this should begin to make sense to you, and this will make more sense as we continue to go through it. So if you'd like, visualize this as standing upon the quicksand. Looking out upon the world and going, I don't know how we live here because if anything bad happens, we're doomed. And you know what? You're right. You are doomed if anything bad happens. Remembering God is creator and that you are dependent upon him, that's your first block. We now have a block sunk down on a steel girder hitting bedrock. We will not fall away and we will not be washed away as long as we stand there. But I don't know about you. When I build a house, I want to have rooms. Like I don't just want a block. I want a kitchen. I want a utility room. I want a living room. I want a bedroom. Ooh, a bathroom with a nice shower. That's what we want to build. But in order to do that, we have to acknowledge that we need God. We need to start with him and build everything out from him. And that's what we're going to continue to do. So hopefully next week I'll get back here and we will continue on through Genesis. So for homework... So you don't have to pause me next time, and you can just do this straight shot when you set your time around. Read the next three or four chapters of Genesis. So about four through, well, about four through six or so. You know what? Get yourself ahead. Read read four through about nine, and that way you'll be ahead for the next couple weeks, and this will all make sense because we will then be able to understand and walk through this so that we can build our foundation so that we can then start scaffolding up. So foundation one, God as creator. Until we get to do this again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.